The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. My family thinks I'm crazy. Podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? Although some call him Bigfoot, Yeti, Yowie, Babalu, Misabi, and a variety of other names, I call him Sasquatch, one of his most famous names, coming from the Coast Salish language of British Columbia. I say him because although this species of two-leggeds also has genders and families, the ones who choose to show themselves and interact with us humans are most often wise older males, protectors of their tribe. Two previous encounters and lots of research in different resources, including many accounts from native traditions, had awakened my interest in this mysterious being. Two close encounters this spring with direct communication brought me many clear answers and teachings. In May 2015, on Vancouver Island, prime Sasquatch country by excellence, one week after finding tracks by Cleoquat, I did ceremonies and chants echoed in the mountains around Kennedy Lake. One night, a loud bang sounding like a big tree trunk being hit with strength on a hollow tree caught my attention. Then another one closer. Then a big tree being shaken and broken and another one closer made it clear as to who it was. When I heard his footsteps coming my way, I knew he was coming to meet me. He stopped and sat just a few yards behind my tent. I said to him in spirit, We are relatives. I come to meet you as a brother. To learn of who you are. Maybe you can help me understand why sad stories have happened between your people and mine, and maybe we can help in healing our collective past. Sasquatch then said, You heard our call, and you came. I heard your call, and I came. I am an elder seer of my people, sent to meet and teach you. I haven't met any of your people who could talk with us in a few of your generations. My and your people used to be close brothers living side by side in the early ages of your human species. 
when you could still sit in the Council of Star Elders. We were your elder brothers protecting and teaching you. We helped your species to learn, grow, and adapt to this home planet where you were created, on which we had been living since long before your conception. Our people like yours were bioengineered by the Star Elders, but we were born many aeons before you were. Our conceptors added to their alien genetics the DNA of the most evolved and adapted species of that era, a giant lemur now long extinct. Just like they did to create your species, much later with the DNA of another, evolved large primate that you call Anthropopithecus. This is why our genetics and yours are so closely related, that our species can interbreed. This is also why your species and ours are the only two having splice genes in this home planet. So we come from the same star seeds, making us relatives, but our earthly ancestors, we are different. So we are not your ancestors, but your elder brothers. My people were created as part of a cosmic plan to allow ancient souls of star beings to incarnate on this young planet and help it evolve into an intergalactic outpost of consciousness while discovering its many resources and life forms. We were conceived to possess mighty physical strength and resistance with thick skin and fur to adapt to every possible environment and climate from snow-capped summits to dense jungles and be protected from mosquitoes and snake bites. My people also have strong limbs enabling us to break trees, run fast, and jump high and far. Keen eyesight, keen eyesight and clairvoyance to see in the darkness, even in the deepest caves of the underworld. Huge lungs to swim underwater over long distances and be perfectly autonomous and self-sufficient without need for any external material support. We are also gifted with powerful psychic abilities that we have kept to this day, including telepathy, mind reading, remote viewing, hypnosis, astral projection, dematerialization, teleportation, shape-shifting, and permeating consciousness. This last, ability, this last ability allows us to impregnate an area and surround entities with our soul, so we might be perceived as interdimensional beings, but in reality we are an incarnated species with highly developed psychic powers like none other from this home planet. Your first ancestors too were created with those same psychic abilities, but your evolutionary course has largely depleted your gifts as well as your longevity. We have kept our connection with the greater soul of our species, like most animals have, while our telepathic abilities allow the average individual among us to tap in and communicate from distances with any other one gifted with this faculty. So any of us can know at any time how any other thinks and feels through telepathy. When one connects with our greater soul, the whole species can potentially know about it. But our individualities remain independent and free. So individual behaviors are not always representative of our greater soul species. And this conversation goes on and on. Today's guest, Sunbo True Brother, is having a conversation with Elder Camus, a Sasquatch elder who helped Sunbo True Brother write this book that I'm reading from, as well as a couple others. Now, we're going to be talking to Sunbo True Brother in just a moment. That book that we just read from is titled The Sasquatch Message to Humanity Conversations with Elder Camus. This is book one 
There's also book two, Interdimensional Teachings from Our Elders, and book three, Earth Ambassadors Cooperation. Now, if you want to hear more from this book, please do sign up and support the show on Patreon after our interview with Sunbow True Brother is over. We're going to be reading a little bit more about the pre-human history of Earth. That's uh, the story of the fish people, the ant people, and the Sasquatch people, and many others, even reptilians, greys, and you'll hear all about that in this following conversation. But please do support the show on Patreon or Substack to hear more from this excellent book that I have in front of me, written by today's guest, Sunbow True Brother. Thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, and enjoy this conversation with Sunbow True Brother. One case in particular, there was a Yahweh, a Duli, a Duliga, which are taller ones. They have a post tomb like the, the Yeti in Tibet, and on the foot, and uh, sometimes six toes. And there's uh, and the Donjeri, they're usually below on their three feet tall. Um, so there's uh, they're definitely connected and. Like they are with the star beings, what I call the council of star elders, because there's all kind of star beings we were just talking about. Uh, but there's what I call the council of star elders, is the ones I I connect with. They're the ones who, who teach me, and the, through the Sasquatch ambassadors who have introduced me, uh, I've been taking on ships and uh, given uh, teachings and information download by the Council of Star Elder, and I have asked many times uh, where did they they come from? And they always tell me, uh, we come from a lot of places you you have never heard of, you have no idea that it exists around the universe. Uh, But we all join in a collective consciousness that is uh, like elders do uh, for watching, protecting, transmitting the, the knowledge and um, so they, they all speak in uh, telepathy Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And with us today is a very special guest, someone who has an incredible story to tell us. And he comes to us all the way from the great north. It is Sunbow True Brother here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast for the first time. Sunbow, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you today? And tell the folks a little bit about yourself and what brings you to the show today. Greetings, Mark, and thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's been a wonderful last day of summer here. 
uh, sunny and warm. And yeah, uh, well, I have just got your invitation, and as I often uh, give uh, interviews on different topics uh, related mostly to paranormal and shamanism and similar uh, fields of interest. Uh, I'm also an author. I've seven, eight books published in the last eight years. Uh, one of them is now in seven languages. Uh, well, next month is going to be launched in Japan and Japanese. And uh, I have a website at scenicsasquatch.com. So people have also a lot of uh, resources and information there, articles, uh, videos, interviews, uh, links. And so that's probably why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I particularly wanted to start maybe from the beginning because it seems like You've been very busy since this first initial run of books, the Sasquatch Message to Humanity, Conversations with Elder Camus. And this story really fascinated me. You know, I have gone on many solitary walks in the woods, going to wild places, and I've often felt different energies and maybe felt like I've found certain unique places through using my intuition but your story really takes that to a, a spectacular level so tell us a little bit about this and you know what drew you to this initial encounter that these encounters that you had that kind of set you off on this journey I, I understand you were drawn to this certain lake where the first encounter happened tell us about that that's what I was actually the first close conversation. I had multiple encounters prior to that, and uh, starting in uh, first week of October '81, uh, story I've told often, and and, um, and I also say often I emphasize the fact that uh, it took me 33 years of shamanic training and learning and uh, practice, research, and, uh, including sporadic encounters with Sasquatch as well as with some star beings. Uh, it took all that time before I was finally ready to go to the next level, which was to go out willingly to meet them and um, engage in to communication. And that sped up the process from there because started being taught and understanding what was going on and all the the mystery about those amazing beings. Yeah, it's incredible. And I haven't heard these stories, and I'm sure many of the audience, it's new to them. So if you wouldn't mind telling us a, a little bit about these encounters. Sure. Uh, there were many. Uh, uh, at first, like the first one, I can't say that shortly again. Uh, we were uh, uh, 10 young men who went to camp out on the, by the Fredo River, so-called British Columbia, near the Chehalis Reserve. 
where the Silas, uh, Salishan people live, and the name Sasquatch comes from their language. Uh, they have a Sasquatch as their tribal emblem there. It's very present in their culture. They, uh, they included them in some ceremonies like the um, Sasquatch Days, happening uh, uh, yearly uh, since 1938. And um, I didn't know anything of that back then. I was 17. Uh, we just went, built a lean-to, and as young guys coming out of the city, we didn't care so much about respecting nature, and we stripped a couple of small cedars to make our roof. So in the middle of the night, it was uh, pitch black, really dark night, uh, heavy rain pouring. And we heard some heavy footfalls coming in the brush along the river. And um, the the post holding our roof was about six inches thick. I snapped, and the roof fell in our faces. Uh, so we all woke up in the middle of the night, kind of no idea what happened. And we all like, reported having heard someone speaking into our minds, some said into our dreams. <clears throat> For me, it was a, well, it's like a telepathic message we all got at the same time. And one of us was uh, staying in a little tent uh, nearby and he arrived panicked and he said, we have to go, we have to go. And he said, you won't believe me, but he said, I saw a big hairy monster come down the camp and vanish like a ghost. So at that time, uh, uh, we didn't even relate the story to Sasquatch. We didn't understand what was going on. We tried to explain uh, a way or somehow that out of the 10, seven left. <laughs> and uh, I stayed around on uh, that same week. I was actually there for that purpose. I did my first vision quest as instructed by a medicine man to go out the Fast and pray and uh, meet your spirit guide. So that was starting for me on the shamanic path. Then uh, I went around in all the spiritual schools, uh, ancient texts of Veda, Tao, uh, the Bible, the, uh, the ashrams, the uh, temples, and all those things, and found some answers many places, but uh, I found most answers regarding paranormal phenomena in uh, ancient shamanic cultures. Those people uh, use, uh, they learn how to interact with the spirit world, uh, with non-human intelligence, like Sasquatch and star beings, and they have these teachings of their traditions. And that's where I must... <coughs> Uh, say I've I've heard the most amazing stories, first or second hand stories. Uh, there are communities, uh, especially in the Pacific Northwest or uh, some parts of Australia, where I traveled, and some ind- indigenous communities uh, have not only a common knowledge about the hairy humanoids we call Sasquatch. They have other names in different tribes. 
but they 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 have uh, practices and uh, interactions uh, ongoing. Uh, maybe not everybody in the tribe, but everybody knows someone in the tribe uh, who has those encounters. That they especially normally they're medicine people, shamans who are trained to uh, interact with uh, non-human intelligence and uh, paranormal phenomena and psychic uh, aspects and all these uh, interdimensional um, realities that we learn from those beings, from interacting with them. And once we do, everything becomes clear, everything makes sense. Uh, there, um, so, yeah, to tell my experiences, I, I, that's why I write books, because there are many, and I can't even write them all. But um, it was a long process where I had sporadic encounters, you can say, like uh, uh, 81, uh, I just said in 83, I had, uh, I can see my first conversation there because I was in uh, Petrified Forest, Arizona, April 83, and I uh, was on my way to Hopi land for my first uh, visit there. I went uh, back over 15 times. Uh, I was... Uh, Adopted by the Hopi clan of uh, Coyote clan of Advila uh, in '87. But that time in '83, I was camping in the Petrified Forest and I saw a Sasquatch come up from behind the dune and sat about 100 feet from me and he animated uh, images of uh, millions of years ago when his people were walking with the dinosaurs. And there are, I didn't know then, but I found out since uh, there are plenty of petrified human-like footprints found around the world, uh, bigger than human size often, that are dated two or three hundred million years, and according to geological uh, Turns. Uh, so we know there have been uh, human-like beings on this planet long before us humans, and uh, that's what they tell us. Um, so that was the first in uh, April '83. Was my first communication, but I didn't really quite understand what had just happened. I, I took it as a vision. I it was because was it was it? like. Uh, like an hologram, you know, like transparent somehow. I, I didn't realize it was a being who was interdimensional like that. So this Sasquatch being, he projected this image in your mind. It wasn't like a, a words he was communicating with you, but it was more like a moving image or a picture of this past arrow eons ago when the first incarnation of humanoid, we can say, right, on the planet, which is, according to Elder Camus, the Sasquatch. And yeah, so this was before you realized Elder Camus was trying to get in touch with you. Do you think that this was like an emissary of his, or was this him himself at that point? How do you, because it sounds like this was a brief encounter, this first sort of communication with the Sasquatch. Yeah, I believe it was him, uh, it, but it was like a pre-preparation 
for uh, while I was starting to learn. Uh, I took uh, from 83, uh, took many more years of learning with sporadic encounters again in 86 in Northern California, uh, Trinity County, which is known as the Sasquatch Country, uh, Willow Creek and all that. Um, Bluff Creek as well. I was around there and I was, uh, Sasquatch came in a very remote community and uh, so, so, stole some produce in their garden. And uh, there was a dog there we never heard before. And the dog that did turn mad uh, started barking with fear. And I heard the, the Sasquatch run across the valley. And at some point, it stopped and released uh, that legendary blood-curdling scream where the whole forest goes silent, uh, including the dog. Um that nothing else can make. You know, once you hear that, you know, well, that's just as much as no other explanation, especially running on two feet. I went on uh, with several other encounters like that. That was like, by then I knew they existed, but I didn't know much about them, you know, who they were and how related we are. It went on uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, I started going to... Uh, Algonquin Park in Ontario. It's a very vast uh, wilderness. And, uh, some places there's hardly anybody ever going. And uh, my old friend there was a, like a very skilled woodsman. He knew all the trees. He spent his life in the woods and <clears throat> he brought us for expeditions, uh, four seasons, winter or summer, snowshoes, canoes. And he had, uh, the first person I met who told me he had had encounters in Sasquatch in that area. And it was the first time he showed me a tree structure. Uh, like you're in the middle of nowhere and then you find this huge pile, a typical tight shape, let's say, pile of woods, but there's it's no, it's not a shelter, it's not you. I didn't understand until many years later that these are markers and uh, communication devices to uh, show their presence, their territory as well. Uh, and then uh, 92 with the, in the young Lonquin Park with a girlfriend there, uh, we had a Sasquatch come and um, at night we were just sleeping out in the open and we had a Sasquatch come at night but in an invisible form. We could hear footsteps right next to us and was throwing me pine cones. I was like, what? <laughs> out of the blue, pine cones <laughs> thrown at me. We were not under any trees or anything uh, and we concluded it has to be a Sasquatch but I didn't understand yet that they can come in an invisible form because you know, I, I didn't know who they were. It's all those experiences that little by little were many, many years. And in 2003, on Vancouver Island with a, a good longtime friend, just as we returned from a gathering with uh, native elders doing ceremonies, we were uh, in the middle of the 
lush rainforest with giant ferns and giant trees and, and moss hanging. We're uh, about 40 kilometers from the f- first house. And we turned the curve and there was a standing right in the middle of the road, the forest road. And we, um, that dog with us panicked, went crazy. Like, we felt this wave, like a very strong psychic energy that paralyzed us. We were froze totally, we couldn't react, except the dog got totally mad. And uh, we saw a good 10 seconds. Of course, then he did a couple of steps and jumped in the, the bush and disappeared. Uh, we went by. I told my friend, stop, stop. And he said, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, this friend has had, uh, we've had other encounters uh, after that together, and he has had some as well on his side. It's just because once you know them, well, they, it's not a coincidence. No encounters are coincidence. They kind of let you see or hear them or find something they left, footprints or something, three structures. Because they're guiding you in a process. You are free. It's your free will to follow or not that path. It's not given to all. It's a spiritual path, and it's a, it's a lot of uh, great lessons. Great understanding, but uh, we also uh, anyone can just you know flush it, flush it out any day and say okay I'm done with it. I've seen some people who have done that because it's too much for them at some point. Uh, however, if you have the right, that's why I, I often emphasize that I had uh, decades of shamanic training and learning and from elders who, who know about those things, who practice those things, who uh, do healing work with, with spirits and all kinds of uh, skills that are definitely very uh, useful, if not necessary, to uh, engage into a paranormal quest. This isn't just something that we want folks to try at home. And what's really conveyed at least the sense that I got was that you seem to have some sort of special place, maybe by accident, maybe by preparation or circumstance of your life, but you seem to be playing this really important role uh, in getting this message out to humanity. And I completely agree with the importance of this. And I'd love to get into Elder Camus' message. But one of the things that really struck me was how he sort of characterized humanity today and why we risk maybe losing track of what the original intention for this planet was, right? And how these Sasquatch elders are much, much older than you or I could ever hope to be. So tell us a little bit about this first encounter with Elder Camus and when you realized you were becoming this like apprentice to him in this way yeah uh, well through all this preparation I was talking about it was leading me to that point and the last year I think 
was very important before I started because I learned from my uh, native Greek cousin, a historian of the family, uh, and I had seen in the old gazettes that story before that um, my great-great-grandfather and his uh, twin brother were found in the Northwest Territory around the Great Slate Lake by Cree trappers in the mid-1800s. And uh, they were uh, living in a hut of branches, were about eight years old, and eating bugs and roots and being dressed with rawhide and speaking no human language. And I was very intrigued by this story about my ancestor, and I asked my cousin, and she said, well, we have to ask in the family. And uh, so it took me, it was a shock. I didn't quite get it right away. It took me a while to assimilate this information. But finally, yeah, uh, uh, then I found out that, that such stories are very, well, fairly common in uh, indigenous communities, especially in the north and in the northwest, as well as in uh, parts of Australia, Tibet, Siberia, there's even uh, documented historical cases uh, uh, of such hybrids. Yes. Um, so that kind of put, brought it to another level for me. It's, Sasquatch was not just one of many topics of interest. It became like a, you know, like a personal quest. I wanted to understand who, who are my ancestors. Uh, I can say I found out much later, you know, with much more research, that we all probably most human have some Sasquatch ancestry at some point. Uh, yes, it's rare to be able to trace it back, but some do. Yeah, that's fascinating. I have heard stories like that, particularly from Native American tribes where women would be taken and sometimes given back, so to speak. And yeah, it's very interesting to think that these creatures, as most humans think of them, are not <laughs> some sort of other creature at all. They're rather our long older, much older brother, right? And much closer to us, maybe even genetically than we previously thought. And sure, there are examples of horses and donkeys can mate and create a mule, but it doesn't seem like that's the case with Sasquatch. Maybe it's more likely that we're like the mule, but we are, of course, we have the ability to reproduce, which some hybrids don't. But yeah, that's so fascinating. And I know later on in this story, I hope we can get into that in this episode, Camus explains how humanity came to be after these many eons of different humanoid beings here on the planet. But one of the things that a lot of people have trouble with is they say there's no evidence of Sasquatch because there's nothing left behind. If, if they were like any other being, we'd find more evidence of them, right? And you describe, or Camus describes how Sasquatch, they're experts at concealing themselves. And some stories even seem to imply that Sasquatch have 
what we could probably call supernatural abilities, at least from our human perspective. But to them, these must just be perfectly normal attributes of how they operate in the world. So how exactly are the Sasquatch so stealthy? Is this something that's just inherent to them? Can they sort of astral project and whatnot? And that's why they're not actually physically here. What's the real dynamics behind that? Yeah, uh, that's a few topics right there. Uh, about the, the DNA, the genetics, there's been several um, test, DNA testing uh, on Sasquatch uh, samples, uh, namely the Sasquatch Genome Project, uh, with uh, 111 samples, uh, five-year study in at least six lab. Uh, uh, peer review, they all re- came with the same result without knowing where it came from. <clears throat> that they have 99% of the same DNA as you, modern human, and plus 1% unknown. 1% alien, we can say. We don't know. Um, so that's, that explains, you know, why they can be very close from us. There's also another factor that we have learned over time is that on a certain level, when interdimensional knowledge and understanding is practiced, for instance, for space travel, uh, time travel, uh, materialization, dematerialization, teleportation, all those things that... Um, can only be achieved with an understanding of interdimensionality, all the dimensions, but they are, how they interact, uh, how they can connect. Um, so uh, it's the same with uh, hybridization. It's not necessarily uh, like uh, physical intercourse no, all the time that one pro- produce uh, hybrids, and there's many, many accounts uh, of... Um, uh, women, for instance, who are uh, given to carry a hybrid for a certain time, and then the hybrid is taken uh, before it's born, or at, at times. Uh, there is also um, uh, they're found out how to carry, how to transmit the DNA code, for instance, from a, a dock to a uh, hen, uh, egg, so the, the hen will look like a duck. Uh, so they're, they're, these are very, so, uh, our, our level of science is very just starting to understand these things, but some higher uh, advanced uh, intelligence or techno- uh, civilizations uh, have been somehow, have been it's part of evolution, this certain type of uh, intervention into genetics. If you ask, like, a, you know, planting a garden, you choose your, you can hybrid a plant or something that will be more favorable for the environment. Or uh, So um, when highly advanced civilizations, this is star-faring species, uh, come to a new planet that is uh, already either already has a primitive life or is suited for it. We can introduce 
uh, what we call pansperm. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the many scientists now agree that life came from some somewhere, but the on meteorites is highly improbable because hardly anything would survive on a meteorite. But if it's brought in a ship, we can bring an entire ecosystem uh, in, a, in a ship. So once once life is is flourishing and it's uh, suitable, they also uh, create intelligent hybrids. So there's going to be uh, some intelligent species overlooking and taking care of the. the project, the life development on that planet. Right, and that is this Star Brother group, and it's interesting because we've talked about on different podcasts recently, this group of beings that Christians call the Nephilim in the sort of Judeo-Christian world, they're known as the Nephilim in, in the Quran, they're described as the Jinn, but Elder Camus describes this group of beings called the Lower Lords, which to me sounded a lot like what people are describing with these Nephilim. And we even have some maybe more Christian-oriented paranormal researchers in the community. They say that Sasquatch is a Nephilim, and maybe these two sort of perspectives are true, and there's a gray area of misunderstanding in between. But yeah, help me understand that a little bit better, because it seems like the star beings that sort of manage on the upper level of maybe the hierarchy here on Earth, they have a Sasquatch below them and then all these other beings that sort of follow. Sasquatch seemed to have come first, right? Uh, from my understanding and experience, uh the, the well, as I, as I wrote in my books, actually, that detail a, a lot about those uh, topics. Uh, who are the lower lords? Uh, like you say, the Nephilim means a fallen one in Hebrew, right? And um, they have other names and different, uh, like in Greeks, they're the archons. But basically, it means the principalities, the powers that be. We can say um, they have. Uh, there's different classes of those beings as well. Uh, it's, and there's different traditions and about it. Uh, but uh, we can see what concerns us humans and uh, what has influenced our history, our, our evolution, our destiny uh, to this day. Uh, because uh, we talked, you know, just not so long ago, when we mentioned extraterrestrials, we were the, the cuckoos, you know, the wolves, and right, you know, kind of theorists. <laughs> I don't like that term, theorists. But, uh, <laughs> um, and now, look, like, like you know, they had uh, Pentagon earrings on the UAPs, and they have to admit there's something out there, but they won't say they know what it is. But it's a good excuse to for Space Force because they might be a threat or something. Uh, they don't tell; they have secret deals with them, and they're on their deep underground military bases. 
they have back engineer or have traded technologies uh, against, for instance, UN VLA uh, as among other resources. Uh, so what they tell us and the official disclosure, it's it's just bits and crumbs. It's nothing, you know, even the last one this summer. Okay, they have um, admitted they, uh, they have a UFO and alien body retrieval program. So they have bodies, they have <laughs> crafts. Uh, and um, they, they finally start to tell us 75 years after Roswell. That's not much. Uh, so we should expect disclosure to come from those uh, military or government sources that have always hidden the truth and uh, did the cover up. It, it comes from uh, the bottom up, from the grassroots level, uh, where the first hand experiencers. Uh, or certain whistleblowers and insiders, of course, uh, people tend to trust a general better than uh, a farmer, maybe. But it doesn't mean it's more true, you know, if it comes from an official source than uh, from all the people who have those experiences. Right. I completely agree. And with with recent disclosure events like the one in Mexico, it definitely does make yeah. you wonder what they're really trying to do. I, I'm not the most skeptical person, but it does look pretty incredulous, that so-called evidence that they offered down there in Mexico. I don't know how likely those are actually flesh and blood aliens who died and then became mummified like that. I wonder if that goes against what we know about these beings in the sense that they have maybe a more sophisticated sort of life form. Maybe that would imply that they don't leave physical evidence behind when their body, their physical body perishes. Back to what I was asking about before about Sasquatch, that does seem to be a big aspect of Sasquatch. And maybe it's not that they disappear when their body passes away. Maybe they just live so long that it's not often we find Sasquatch passing away, right? Because as you write in your book, Camus lives up to, what, a thousand years that we know? Or he's more than a thousand years old and he's not the only one, right? So, yeah, it, it seems like the government can't trust them. They seem to have these packs with different beings, but that's why it's so important to get to the foundation of this story. So I don't want you to repeat it verbatim. Obviously, you put three whole books together. We can't nearly cover it all in just one conversation. But when it comes to Camus' message about the history of this earth, do you think maybe we can go through some of the finer points or the highlights of that story? And I, I think people will really benefit from understanding that. Sure. Um uh, Same as such, uh, quite detailed and complex, and I will um, try to summarize it. Uh, but before, I would just like to address the last thing you mentioned about the mummies in Mexico and about evidence, you know, about the evidence, where's the evidence. Uh, those mummies, actually, they are, were already uh, featured in a History Channel documentary in 2017, or six years ago. 
they were a full research. They were tested in labs in, in Peru and Mexico, in California, in Colorado, in Russia. They were um, DNA uh, tested. They were carbon dated. They were uh, X-rayed. Uh, other type of copies, I forget the name, uh, scans of all types by several teams of scientists of different labs around the world. Uh, and uh, not those two, but there's a, a few others that are similar or related. There's a bigger one with three fingers and stuff like that. And uh, they basically um, come up with this this. Uh, they all concluded that it's authentic. And they're authentic. They're one body. It's not a made, made up. It's not. It, it's real uh, organic matter of flesh. It's, uh, wow. The, the, so, so we have this type of evidence. How much can we need, you know? And then yet, you know, it's normal to doubt. And uh, then there's the question, why are they starting to show it to us? They must have an ulterior motive and all that. However, uh, um. How much evidence do we need? People have been screaming for bodies and proof, and now we got the scientifically tested, proven sample of specimens. And then yeah, I've seen general denial, uh, even in the famous names in the UFO communities and all that. You know, which is all right. My question has been. Doesn't really matter whether those two are real, but what about the thousands they've been hiding? Because I've seen, I've touched myself some alien mummies in Peru, uh, and there are some museums are full of them. Uh, Smithsonian Institute secret vaults, you know, have four million skeletons, including eighteen thousand giants reportedly. So, right, right. So, so uh, uh, that's about the evidence. And people ask, "Where's the evidence?" You know, and uh, about Sasquatch, let's say. Well, uh, in my after the Sasquatch Research Humanity trilogy, I uh, the the guided me to write the encyclopedia of all things Sasquatch, every humanoid from the world, and that is a deep research in hundreds of sources from. Uh, Antiquity, Middle Age, and uh, historic reports into uh, modern research and, and the latest understanding. And there is lots of reported cases, documented cases, that they found bodies, they captured Sasquatch since 5,700 50, 50, years ago in China. And um, the, there's cases in the Middle Age in the <clears throat> modern, uh, to modern days. Uh, some corpses were sent to university and disappear. Even life, Sasquatch, a, a young boy, Jaco, in 1909 in BC was sent to the Barnum Circus, but uh, never disappeared somewhere. And there's all these stories, and even in the 1950s, Starting in the 1950s, there were some highly uh, funded, well-equipped secret expeditions put up by all the great powers of the world, including involving the CIA, 
and my my five KGB China France uh, basically a lot of the big powers of the world put up some expeditions and at times several to chase Sasquatch uh, or, or the Yeti or you know those beings in different parts of the world. And there's, there are reports that they found some. They got evidence. There's even the infamous uh, Yeti memo from the U.S. embassy in Nepal in the 50, 59, because there was some already since years exp- American expeditions hunting the Yeti in the Himalayas. And the, this official document with the U.S. government uh, not only recognized the, well, the existence of Yeti, but they say if any evidence is found, photos, DNA, bodies, everything, they have to be kept uh, totally secret. It's in, in, in forbidden, strictly forbidden to to mention this information except to the government. So we see right back then, they already had a, an official cover-up. And uh, Coupled with some uh, secret expeditions, well funded. And that went on into the 70s and 80s, and who knows, uh, if not until now. Yeah, wow. Now, it does feel like they're shooting us all in the foot collectively by keeping us from these seemingly benevolent and, and brotherly beings. Is there any part of you that feels like this was an action to protect the Sasquatch or to keep them away from the public in an effort to keep them sacred? Is there any anything that would leave that? Or is it altogether these guys in the government? Because I have trouble even saying that because I'm, I'm generally suspicious towards the government. I think it's closer to the truth that they have some sort of pact with whoever the Sasquatch are maybe against or opposed to. Is that correct? Well, uh, they, they don't. They've been hunting them not as friends. No? That's, that's exactly the opposite of what I've been learning and teaching. Right. To to have a, a non-violent, peaceful, uh, friendly approach to interspecies communications. Uh, you don't go with a weapon. You go with a gift. You don't go with uh, uh, plans. To, lure or trap or trick or, or you go there with open mind, open heart, sincere uh, honesty and, uh, and uh, respect. That's how uh, this encounter can happen and, and can multiply if once you start to connect with those beings. Uh, that's why, you know, you see all those TV shows and all those researchers that spend the decades, you know, in the field uh, and they might you know, here uh, would knock or find a few footprints uh, in their whole life. Uh, because the, if you don't come with the right approach, uh, the, the Sasquatch uh, have no interest in meeting Right. Yeah. And it seems like the Sasquatch are at a great risk with this sort of faction in the government being allied with what 
is really amounts to sinister entities, right? Whether they're rebels from the Sasquatch ranks or they're other beings. A lot of people, particularly David Icke, talk about the reptilians. I personally, on my own journey, when I was very young, I met a man who's still a friend of mine who told me a bunch of things about Native American culture and taught me a lot. But one of the things that he said that really stuck with me is that when he went to take peyote and do this ceremony that his father and his grandfather and so on all participated in, he went and he went in a sweat lodge tent, he took peyote, and after some hours he found himself floating out of his body and going underground. And there he met with a sort of reptilian female entity. And he said that was the same entity that his father, his grandfather, and so on all interacted with during this situation. So I've always had this kind of belief in these things because I don't believe Amos had any reason to lie to me. He's a a friend of mine, and what he described, because I said, hey, everything I've heard about the reptilians is that they're bad, so how am I supposed to trust you now that I know about this? And he said, it's much more complicated than that. There are, just like human beings, there are good reptilians, bad reptilians, and I assume the same is true with Sasquatch, right? And that's something that you've learned along your journey as well, that they're these Sasquatch that unfortunately hunt other Sasquatch, the benevolent ones. There's, uh, that's one thing that they taught me and they asked me to, to share in my books is, uh, we should never judge a book by the cover, basically, uh, or, uh, a species as a whole or a race or a group or any label on any, uh, individual soul, because there are different, uh, karmic bonds and, and uh, that within certain groups, certain species, uh, but uh, every other zero is different and can make different choices. And the purpose of uh, interspecies communication should always be for their healing, the evolution of consciousness, uh, improving their relations. So yeah, there are in every species, uh, starting with us humans, there are good and bad apples. And uh, some can rot the others and uh, can cause a lot of trouble. And uh, in uh, other words, they, they can create collective karma that we all have to, to deal with. Uh, and that happens in every, every species. There are certain species, as explained in my book, that have lived hundreds of millions of years. They have had much more time to go through all kinds of situations and wars and, and downfalls and, and re-emergence of all kinds. Uh, so they have definitely their own story they carry. Right. However, within those species, like in every, uh, every race, there's a, there are factions that might be working against our best interest, and there are some that are helping, that are beneficial. Right. So whether reptilian or, because uh, I mentioned, and encounters with some beings like that, of different types of star beings, and the purpose is always to, to understand, to understand where we come from, who we are, 
what we carry and how we can assist each other in any way. Uh, that's what makes uh, the value of inter, uh, species communication. Uh, there are definitely at times confrontations uh, or a rogue party, a rogue individual. Uh, I can give an example about Sasquatch. As, um, I was talking about Chehalis earlier, where the name Sasquatch comes from. And I had a friend who was uh, doing ceremonies with the natives there. And they usually uh, honor the Sasquatch in their sweat lodges and even offering. And then at one point, there was a, a young Sasquatch that came, started coming around the village and messing around, you know, stealing things, uh, frightening people, making noise. Uh, after a while, the people were like, they talk to their medicine people, they say, can you uh, please help us with that? So they did a ceremony and it's what lodge. And they asked the Sasquatch elders, they said, please, can you take care of your, your youth there? Because he's a bit uh, rogue and he's making trouble. We would like if you can watch over it. And he stopped coming. That was uh, the end of the trouble. So that shows that they have, you know, also, uh, you know, individual souls and problems and weakness and uh, and emotions, but they're also uh, well uh, maintained in balance through a council of elders who watch, uh, oversee, you know, the their people, their the evolution of their people. Right. And I should correct myself. I, I misspoke earlier saying the Sasquatch came first. You write actually in your book that the star beings created the fish people first, which I find that really fascinating considering we have stories from certain parts of the world like Africa and even Polynesia of fish-headed gods coming out of the sea and instructing people upon, uh, upon different things that help them. And God is a term that gets used a lot in this sort of realm, but I guess really any being that has a sort of higher capability beyond what humans seemingly have would could be termed a god in that sense. But it, tell us about these fish people. Are they like people might imagine with a, a actual fish head, or are they more like what uh, myths show us with like mermaids and mermen and this sort of thing? They have a, a very wide variety of shapes and forms because uh, their development uh, started the earliest and not only um, earliest, but uh, they had a longest period on their own. And they are related to the elementals. The elementals are, uh, were seated on this planet to take care of the ecosystems. And they were in the, the interdimensional beings. They can materialize, but they are more, more often in etheric form. And but out of them, some uh, felt attached to the material plane and eventually incarnated in species of water beings. 
and uh, they, they develop, uh, like we say, more people um, who could. There are plenty of stories of those such looking beings around the world. Uh, they're not all like a pretty maid uh, with a fish tail. Sometimes they can be a little, you know, different from what we were well, as human. I can say I had one encounter uh, in the flesh in a very remote lake in northern Quebec where the local natives have a legend about those beings. And they had uh, under underwater colony or settlement there where there was an underwater pyramid and an entrance. And uh, I saw one night of the moon as uh, amphibious looking being as the native described them, the cooks of frogmen. Uh, looking like a big frog, but the eyes are intelligent against, and the psychic energy is really strong. That's my one encounter with the, the type of beings and the, yeah. the physical. Uh, what I understood from all the legend and research I did ar- around that specific site, there's, they're not necessarily uh, evil, good or evil. There was a skirmish at one point, three, four generations ago, and a native hunter killed one. So they had to kind of solve this karma through uh, counseling and they, they asked for the life of the hunter. They could spare him, but uh, if basically they have politics and they have, you know, uh, their own issues to deal with and they're not necessarily all enlightened beings, but they're not necessarily either all evil. Right, and it, it's interesting because as you were describing that, really, really fascinating encounter. I brought to mind some other encounters that might have maybe a, a more fearful implication. In Mexico, there's stories of like river deities that pretend to cry like babies and attract people to the water edge. And apparently people go missing if they go and, and follow the, the cries of this baby, which seems like a really human instinct to go and, and try to help an infant if it's in trouble. So yeah, there, that implies that this isn't an ordinary creature. Maybe it's some sort of frog or something that just sounds like a baby crying. But yeah, it is, it is very fascinating. Another point that you make when describing the saga of the fish people and how they developed here on earth first you mentioned that they weren't quite physical the way we are now and this is interesting because in another book that i really love called the sacred history of the world it's actually or the secret history of the world it's right over there by mark booth he talks about some information that he received through a channeler And she talked about how at the beginning of Earth's incarnation, everything was more like a plasma. And it over time really slowly came into this density that we're now in today. And it would make the most sense that an aquatic being would probably also be around and flourishing in that time. Because when you're in the water, it's, I think, the closest we can experience to the fourth dimension in the third dimension, right? You can float and there's this weightlessness that maybe the only thing similar to that would be dreaming, right? And yeah, it's fascinating that 
with all the stories like Lake Titicaca down in South America, where they constantly see lights coming in and out of the lake there and your experience by a lake and lakes in particular tend to have these strange things and Loch Ness, but even uh, up here in New England where I live, uh, I think it's uh, Lake Champ, right? Lake Champ even has its own sort of entity there. So yeah, there's all sorts of of things going on that we quite don't understand from this scientific materialistic perspective that I'm happy to discard altogether. But it does, it's fascinating how sci-fi some of these stories sound. These are very advanced beings. And one of the notions that a lot of people are coming around to is that we are actually maybe at a sort of deficit of human progress rather than at the peak of human progress. And there was a time in our past where humans had an understanding, a greater understanding. There were great libraries that taught us about the actual energies of the earth and all of these things that have been lost, unfortunately. Maybe that's due to this densification that's going on. But Talk about that. Were, was there a time in that ancient past, Atlantis, when human beings uh, had a, a face-to-face relationship with some of these other humanoid creatures? The fish people are just the start. There's also, obviously, the lizard people. There's the ant people, who you mentioned, and, and, and even avian-type people, right? Several different species have gotten the chance to be that humanoid form. Maybe that's part of the creator's special plan, but was there a time in our ancient past when we were on more of an even level with these beings? Yeah, there was. Uh, actually, that's why we find so many uh, ancient traditions around the world, uh, ancient texts or oral traditions. Uh, all those same beings uh, you just mentioned. Uh, water beings, uh, or fish people, uh, insect people, the OP talk a lot about the ant people and their, uh, their depictions. And, and there is, uh, we see the uh, reptilian or reptile all around the ancient stories of the world uh, from uh, on all continents. Uh, and, uh, for instance, in the Veda, where the, the Rakshasa, if we we're talking about the lower lords, the Rakshasa are uh, described as a ruling caste of shape-shifting reptilians. Uh, that's a thousand-of-year-old book, you know, so it's a very old story. It's not just made up uh, like New Age. We're just remembering those things now. And I hope we talk about the lizard people and the snake people that live at the bottom of the Grand Canyon or from whom they learn the the snake dance, and they also say the the man married the daughter of the snake chief, and their children had scales. And so there are all kind of stories around the world. It would be too long to name half of them uh, about. Reptilians about uh, also aliens. Uh, we look at Thoth uh, in Egypt or uh, the Anunnaki in, in Mesopotamia, and either being with a bird head or with bird wings. 
the angels we see uh, from much before uh, Christianity, uh, in ancient uh, Asia and Persia. And, uh, so uh, why these concepts keep coming back? And um, it, there's also stories uh, that those beings are, like you mentioned, gods or supernatural beings, so, like highly evolved. Well, they have influence to this day, uh, human history. Uh, we can mention especially the reptilians because they have uh, implanted their dynasties, the bloodlines, to rule the uh, human, human society since antiquity. And this is something that so many people are having an awakening towards like these mythical beings that are talked about in all these ancient stories they're not just products of uh, imagination or storytelling devices like our academics try to whisk it all away these are real beings that existed and maybe due to a series of cataclysms they're no longer here maybe due to the fact that we're densified beyond the point of being able to see regularly the fourth dimension. Maybe some of these beings still are not quite third dimensional the way we are, and that's where the discrepancy is. But you talk about the ant people, and the, the star elders put them here after all the plants started growing and Earth was this bountiful garden, and the ant people were like caretakers at first. But some things happened along the way, and the ant people ended up blowing up the moon. How exactly does this all go down? Because we've talked about the moon on this show. A lot of people say the moon is hollow. Some people say the moon is artificial. And it, that could be the case that the moon we have now is actually like a replacement because of something that happened a really long time ago. And Elder Camus talks about that. So what went on there? Exactly. Uh, and we find that all these topics we're talking about now, actually, can find a lot of confirmation in many sources, uh, ancient and new, whether ancient texts or oral tradition or uh, modern discovery, uh, whistleblowers are uh, channels from different uh, places. Uh, the moon is definitely uh, since the 50s, since basically uh, modern astronomy, they started to understand the moon is hollow and, uh, and it's it's mostly artificial, that's what it is, because it has all the proportions and, uh, I mean, there's a lot of facts to to prove that. Uh, the volume and the mass don't correspond and all that. It rings like a bell, plus there's plenty of photos of uh, structures uh, are built on the moon. So, yes, and uh, that's why, uh, yeah, like you, you, you put it uh, very well, it's, it's a replacement for uh, an old moon that was uh, destroyed at a time when, uh, like uh, we know, the continents are drifting. And most of every body in uh, science field, in a way, agree that there was a first like, old continent, Pangaea. That split and, and in part in smaller parts as a, and drifted away. They might be drifting one side and then the next. Uh, uh, it's 
shift happens. But uh, uh, there's uh, definitely also a, a proof in the geology as well as in the fauna in Florida that can be found that's where the name Lemuria came from because there's Lemur in India and there's Lemur in Madagascar. Uh, and those animals don't swim. So they had to be a land bridge at some point. So yeah, uh, the first book of the Sasquatch, Message to Humanity, goes in depth about the history of, uh, well, the universe and the, the, the planet we're on, this Earth, uh, how it developed and how it was uh, terraformed, it was cultivated, and there were successive intelligent species that took care of it. And now it's our turn. The others are not gone. There's some of them are still influential, and uh, basically all, all of them are still influential to different levels in human affairs. And um, some live underground, uh, in, uh, under uh, the underworld. There's uh, several entrances known around the world, and I went to one of them in the east rim of the Grand Canyon, where uh, the Hopi say the ant people and the lizard people live underground. And it was a discovery by John Kincaid, the guide for the Smithsonian in 1909. It's full famous, and they discovered caves uh, with uh, uh, deep uh, <clears throat> underground civilization with statues and sarcophagus and all, uh, hieroglyphs and things that look uh, between Egyptian and, and Tibetan. I met a per- one person well, first time he went into those caves. Uh, he was taken there by three medicine men. And he described, well, I had been searching for it for many years and he basically confirmed I was on the right track and uh, gave me a couple of clues to to make it there. So I found the entrance but there was also, it was blocked and plundered in 2012. We could guess by the Smithsonian or such type of institute because uh, there's a video where we see uh, black choppers howling heavy loads out of uh, uh, big crates out of the canyon to some unmarked semi-trucks in the middle of the desert you know, just to find that place you need uh, to study a map for days so uh, the what was there is now somewhere else we can hope or guess, but at least uh, uh, we know it's not going to be made public so soon. Yeah, and that's the usual pattern here with a lot of these places. Unfortunately, the Smithsonian and all these interests, the upper echelons of society, they they have an interest, whether it's because of the value of these items or maybe just the sheer truth that's inlaid in them, that they covet and hide it from anyone but themselves. We've talked about on this show how there's a group of men that called themselves the Society of Cincinnati, of the Cincinnati, 
and they were fundamental in creating the Smithsonian Institute. And at the heart of that meaning of the word Cincinnati is the seven hills, a city with seven hills. And that refers to these Roman cities with mounds. And the Romans have a reputation of conquering all these different pagan sites and you have to wonder if these Cincinnati men just carried on that same tradition when they came to America of conquering ancient sites, removing the valuables, removing the sacred relics and using them in whatever devilish rituals they have going on. It's really it's a sad story when you get into those details. Not all is lost. There are beings among us that are in greater intelligence and greater capacity to carry this story and these truths forward. So we do have some redemption in that sense, but it seems like the, the ant people, they have an interesting story about factionalization themselves. Like they have a, a, a split of ant people that started to, is it clone themselves or create these clone bodies and, I don't know if you necessarily directly imply this, but, uh, you know, the ant people may be what we see as the greys or what's described as the greys, right? Are, are these, is there a connection between those two groups? Exactly. From uh, where I was start and explained, uh, we have to be uh, careful again because when we say greys, we might refer to a lot of different beings that might be similar or look alike, and they're not all uh, the same uh, karmic group necessarily. Uh, there are those uh, biosynthetic uh, drones, basically, that are uh, they're like biological robots, but, but they're mostly um, synthetic. They are silica-based so they can, you know, uh, they don't need anyone to, to eat or they, they don't, they, they can take extreme temperatures, levels of radiation and all kind of things like that that can be useful for space exploration or for, you know, deep underground bases or certain conditions that are hard for a normal biological being. Um, so, but uh, these are the ones, uh, well, we hear about Roswell in 1947. Uh, uh, there were uh, even photos and things that were leaked and uh, videos. And uh, there's uh, plenty, plenty on the, of accounts. Actually, they're the small grace, as we said, are the most often uh, reported alien beings, apart from the human like. Uh, human looking uh, the other the first one is uh, the small greys and the following one is the reptilians uh, in thousands and thousands of reports um, so the small greys I had a first hand experience at uh, a military base uh, they can be uh, also uh, interdimensional, so they can go through a wall or disappear and things like that. But that one came in our room, and uh, was a spy basically came uh, to kind of 
uh, mess with us. And uh, I just show him the way out and left. Uh, that's one experience, but uh, I'm not saying all grades are bad or are the same. This is one type. Uh, we develop uh, a mechanism of survival to uh, several mass extinctions. The the ant people survived. Now, so, yeah. But what are so? I understand that maybe they're not all good or not all bad. Of course, I think that's fair to say, but. What are some of their capabilities? Because you say you, you showed them out, which is impressive. I I imagine these greys are formidable. They have psychic abilities, or that's primarily how they communicate, right? Was this being maybe it was caught off guard, maybe, that you noticed it? Maybe it thought it was going undetected? And, like, how did that situation unfold? That sounds fascinating. Yeah, that's a very... Short, quick anecdote that uh, my, we were on a special uh, important twist uh, to go basically uh, to s- summarize. We went to Uluru in the center of Australia on that uh, special uh, planetary alignment where other ceremonies were being held and we had also uh, asked globally for uh, prayers and support. Uh, at the time when uh, Australia had been suffering the worst drought in history for two years, and we were in the middle of the uh, worst fire of human history uh, all over the globe uh, in 2020, there were uh, more. There were 12 times the size of the Amazon fire in Australia. Uh, we went to do that ceremony. As guided all along with this, you know, at ceremonies, and we had encounters with the, how they call down there, the Duliga or the Yawi, uh, which we call Sasquatch, or uh, there's the short ones. We call it, they call it Jungjari. And we had, you know, spirit guides, uh, ancestors showing up, uh, animals. We had an elder who us on our journey. Uh, they did an initiation ceremony, ceremony and cut us with a stone. Uh, all this to do that, to say that when we came, we did our ceremony. It started raining. Uh, on our way out, there was a rainbow. And then it started raining. And we looked at the radar satellite maps for, for the following weeks. It started right in the center of Uluru, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of summer where it's, it's never raining. Then it spread like we had called on the rainbow serpent, which is the, like the Kundalini of the earth, the, the life uh, force energy of, of the planet that um, controls all the climate systems and uh, the, it's a feminine entity. And we, we saw that it went like a rainbow circle all around Australia. And within a week, all the fires were out. The drought was over. All the wells and the rivers were filled. And the three largest cities, Melbourne, Sydney, and Canberra, had some hail the size of <laughs> golf balls. Uh, to the point where the prime minister asked the people, please stop praying. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's incredible. So it's worked. 
But uh, there was that gray, that little gray was uh, the Riyadh Cross, uh, a huge, huge military base in the middle of the nowhere, where uh, uh, hundreds of miles, uh, there's thousands of uh, radar antennas and uh, 5G towers in the middle of nowhere. The base is mostly underground because it's so hot there. And there's plenty, plenty of you know, we see you saw a spaceship there, and a huge one. There's plenty of information that some very suspicious activity in the, those that deep underground base involves one thing, weather manipulation, and the other thing, uh, extraterrestrial uh, contacts. And so my friend saw the, the little grid just before uh, when we arrived there uh, at night, I don't know the night. Uh, I was always uh, maybe time zone or something. I was always late that <laughs> late, <laughs> up late, and uh, I was. Uh, I heard some footsteps. Everybody was sleeping. Footsteps, and I saw this little little gray being. Uh, come just over the bed of my, my friend and his son. And I saw, when I saw it, 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 it kind of, you know, because every, every entity we meet, every being, whether a spirit, an extraterrestrial, anyone, we can always express our intention and connect through telepathy. And we, we are not a victim. We're not on the receiving end. Like, uh, we're, even though if they're very powerful, they need our permission. They need our, our consent, you know, to for any kind of interaction. For uh, especially uh, if they try to, you know, to spy or to uh, aggress or harm us, uh, we have the right to say that's how uh, very much exorcism works. We say well, it's not your job here. Uh, you're not welcome. Uh, we, if you don't come in peace, uh, and they know already. Uh, that's why he went right through the wall. Uh, and that same second, the uh, boy woke up, panicked, like, you know, from a night where, who's there, who's there, who's there? Uh, in the middle of the night. So that's my little story with one gray. Uh, there could be others. Uh, there are other encounters that were much more uh, positive positive and totally enlightening and uh, deep information download. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that. I, I really appreciate it. It really does strike home. I resonate with that feeling that you need permission. And I think that's where the root of a lot of maybe our modern karmic load lies where people are unknowingly maybe through certain products they buy or certain systems they partake in they're adding to this karmic debt that's incurring on the planet this sort of in this spread out way but another thing that really fascinated me about what you just said was the different size sasquatch and i'm wondering in the same way that humanity had its tower of babel and we all spread out across the planet and spoke different tongues is the same true with the sasquatch brothers are the yaoi the yeti the sasquatch and all the other incarnations of this being are they 
all that separate or do they have a common link? Uh, can they communicate with each other? What's the deal? Do they have their own council of, of Sasquatch? Yes. From what uh, uh, they showed me, because uh, at times they come together. Uh, it could be uh, one case in particular. There was uh, a Yahweh, a, Duli, a Duliga, which are taller ones. They have a post tongue, like the, the Yeti in Tibet, and on the foot. And uh, sometimes six toes. And there's a... Uh, and the dungeon, they're usually below under three feet tall. Um, so there's, uh, they're definitely connected um, like they are with the star beings, with what I call the council of star elders, because there's all kind of star beings we were just talking about. Uh, but there's what I call the council of star elders, is the ones I, I connect with. They're the ones who, who teach me, and the, through the Sasquatch ambassadors who have introduced me, uh, I've been taking on ships and uh, given uh, teachings and information download by the Council of Star Elder. And uh, I've, I've asked many times uh, who, where, where do they, they come from? And they always tell me, uh, we come from a lot of places you you have never heard of. You have no idea that it exists around the universe. Uh, but we all join in a collective consciousness that is uh, like elders do uh, for watching, protecting, transmitting the, the knowledge. And um, so they, they all speak in uh, telepathy. Once they showed me all kind of different faces of all different species that have no, no idea they exist in. So the Sasquatch are uh, part of that, and they have themselves their, their own council of elders. And among different, we could say, subspecies or branches, uh, like uh, I saw in uh, Australia, uh, well, they came uh, together and talked to me with the same message. So basically, they're, they're the same team. They just have different, uh, you know, maybe habitats or uh, habits or right uh, right beings naturally they adapt to their environment and right. i'm out here in the east coast of the united states and for the most part where i live it's fairly urban i haven't heard of many encounters with beings uh, in these sorts of places and a lot of people chalk that up to there's so much activity, there's so much noise, there's so much electricity, and these are not places that are conducive for these types of beings. They're not really in in harmony with what we have going on as human beings right now. Is this is this sort of like a sickness that we have as human beings, and that's why we don't see these entities in these areas where humans are frequent? Is that why they keep themselves off off in the fringes in the distance? Because they don't want to take part in this sort of lower vibrational energy that humans congregate around? That makes a lot of sense. Uh, <clears throat> well, first of all, there's been reports ongoing in uh, every state, <clears throat> every province, and, uh, and uh, pretty, uh, Mexico, and from pretty much everywhere in North America, uh, and all, on all continents at some level. 
Um, <clears throat> for instance, we hear less of uh, Africa. They have their stories, but they, you know they have less internet and less books written on them. So, but uh, yeah, uh, they can be. So they can be can manifest at just about anywhere. Like I've uh, I've witnessed and I've heard many accounts. Uh, and now I've heard several hundred accounts, so about 400 have shared their their stories on my website, plus many more who have just uh, shared it verbally. And uh, we, we see that there's a lot of different ways they can communicate. You know, it can often come in a dream at first, especially, so we get used to their energy to we start to recognize them. Uh, or in a telepathic message in a meditation, they send an image or something. Um, uh, the, so in this way, they can come anywhere, even in your home. You know, they can even, uh, at times, uh, it happened to me and uh, to others, uh, you can hear their footsteps or a grunt or a whisper next to you, or you can feel a touch, uh, often on shoulder or head, for in my case, to show their, their presence, especially when I was channeling. Um, so there's, uh, in this sense, it can manifest possible everywhere. But if you want to take the take it to a deeper level and more intimate uh, encounter, um, we have to make the first steps, you know, like to, to go where they would uh, like to be. Uh, even if they don't live there, at least a place where there's enough nature, where there's no interference, no traffic, uh, no bypassers, uh, where you can do a real meditation or a little ceremony offering and find things they might leave, like prints or uh, tree structures or stick arrangements, flower arrangements that they make. Um, so that that's the next level, you know. It's like uh, they can be in the east, and I, I have to say, in my area, I am in eastern Quebec, and we've had um, uh, four or five uh, encounters so far in the last couple of years, but um, they're very discreet. Uh, like they will say hi, or there we found some footprints. Uh, uh, they're very, uh, very discreet. The last one I was actually this Monday we went on a canoe trip, the, the national park, and uh, uh, we heard a hoot and landed, and there was a couple of footprints, faint. But so yes, but uh, deeper, uh, it is true that the Pacific Northwest or certain regions, certain regions, uh, Appalachians are good too have, uh, you know, more activity. Right. Well, that would make sense because from what I've read from other sources, some people say that Sasquatch have basically their own underground colonies and the ones that we see above ground are more like elders or people or Sasquatch among them who are ready to interact with the outside world. And I've even heard you say that Sasquatch are psychic enough to know 
when, let's say, someone takes a picture of them or let's say someone sees them or even from miles and miles away, they have this sense of knowing that they've been sighted, right? What's going on there? Is it this collective consciousness that they're tapped into? Yeah, well, definitely they have shown uh, that they, they, they know uh, of people long before we come. For instance, like I was saying earlier, those who go uh, chasing them or TV shows who want to be famous or uh, they don't get a glimpse. Um, but uh, there's also uh, there there will uh, like native elders have taught me actually themselves from long experience that they will only show you will only see or hear them if they let if they choose to. There's no coincidence or never uh, an encounter is always meant. Uh, how deep we want to take it, that's for our part to play. You know, maybe at some point you say, uh, I'm done. Uh, some people do. Others want to keep learning and they will uh, act. They might, you know, but with the right attitude, I've seen many, many people who keep having those encounters at some level. Or, you know, just a feeling a presence or hearing a thought or something that um, keeps that connection alive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how do you explain? Because I think more often than not, I would imagine people have benevolent or maybe neutral encounters with Sasquatch where they see them maybe in the distance or maybe have a, a positive encounter where, like you, they have some sort of interaction, whether that's very basic or in-depth, as you say, that you can go deeper if you're the right individual and they're ready for it, right? Because it's on them, basically. But how do you explain the more frightening encounters with Sasquatch. Does it seem to you like maybe those stories get uh, more attention? Maybe there's a sort of bias in the media to portray these beings that way and the predominantly the encounters are on more on the positive end and those frightening encounters are less frequent. Absolutely. Absolutely. In my encyclopedia of all things Sasquatch, I wrote two or three chapters about the so-called attacks and checked into several famous, often cited cases. And what we find, uh, in all honesty, uh, what we find is that, first of all, many things are called an attack and they're not. You know, people see a Sasquatch or hear a scream and they call it an attack. You know, the, uh, while the Sasquatch didn't show any aggressivity or didn't attack anyone, uh, maybe he was trying to co communicate, but that's normal. The first reaction is fear in most cases, and I've had it, and, uh, and it doesn't uh, leave overnight uh, he, he, because it's a very impressive being, very strong, especially the psychic energy you feel from them, plus. Physically, they're the strongest being on this planet. So, of course, it's normal to be afraid. But um, once we learn to to go over that, that's what uh, 
many the decades uh, that's when we can get to the more intimate deeper uh, connection communication yeah now maybe the the next few questions are a little bit on a different tangent or of a different nature but given that you have a, a connection with these sasquatch i mean how much of their perspective are you familiar with for example how do they feel about their depiction, maybe in movies or pop culture? Have they expressed this to you, how they feel about humanity and their you know, sort of how they're portrayed by us generally? Yeah, the, the, it hurts them. It's, uh, it saddens them because uh, the 95%, at least, of the information people can find in Sasquatch and the Bigfoot world or Yeti, it's false. There's a lot of intentional disinformation as well. Let's look at hundreds of horror movies, you know, that are based on zero fact, total pure fictions, but that are quoted as as, uh, by some. Uh, Some uh, uh, examples of attacks, if you, uh, I studied quite a whole lot, and you find out that the great majority are totally made up and passed on as a, as a fact. But when you go back to the source, there was no source. They, they are, you know, some researchers are, had to admit, you know, openly that, well, we, we didn't really know. We kind of thought there was an attack. There was uh, also, if you take the most famous case, maybe of uh, uh, the Boggy Creek, Monster, folk monster, or so they call. Right, right. Yeah, they made movies. They made, uh, there was a yearly convention. There's Monster March. There's a big paraphernalia. It's a big industry, right? But if you look at the the facts, you find out that within a century, there was over 250 reports in that area. Uh, and a report represents many sightings because most people never report or don't know where to report. So, and uh, in those 250 plus reports, there's one story in 1970 when the Sasquatch put his hand in a window. So they took the gun and shot at him, and the, the Sasquatch got mad and they, get, they went out to chase him, and the Sasquatch threw the gun on the floor. They had a couple of scratches. Uh, Sasquatch took off, and then they put up hunting parties and pussies to catch the bean. Uh, and they call that an attack. Well, who, who was the aggressor really there? Right. Uh, and we hear uh, stories of Sasquatch throwing logs or rocks. And uh, often, usually, uh, uh, hunting parties or loggers. Uh, that's to fend them off, to to like drive them away, to protect the territory. Like, don't come here, don't cut here, don't hunt here. Right. And you see that in all those cases, people don't get hurt; they just uh, frighten away. You know, the dog will land next to them. Now, that I understand, and that speaks to this sort of guardianship that they hold rightfully. 
And especially when you see how terribly humans encroach upon nature and these beautiful old growth forests that take thousands of years to replace. I mean, yeah, they, I, I agree with that. I think they should throw more rocks at loggers and, and hunters even, you know. So, yeah, good on Sasquatch. Now, maybe this question's a little, again, a little unorthodox too, but uh, when it comes to Sasquatch, I've heard many people have different sort of exchanges with them in the sense that they leave gifts behind and even gifts can be left for people from Sasquatch, even like stones that when held have a certain like message or like a memory stone where you, you touch it and you sort of receive like an image or a connection with the Sasquatch. What's going on there? Is this true? Is this something that Sasquatch is capable of doing kind of like imbuing uh, a message into a, a solid object? Yes. Uh, I, that's one thing I, I um, practice and I recommend uh, advice several people on how to make contacts and over 100 so far uh, that have had contacts from uh, you're reading my book for uh, gifting is a very well uh, good practice. Uh, people ask what to give, how to give. It's always the most important thing is the intention, mm. the attitude. You don't. It's not a trade. It's a gift. You don't expect anything. You just uh, you don't just give anything. You give something. You would give to someone you respect, to a friend, or an elder, uh, something beautiful, something nice, not a piece of junk food, or maybe a good. Apple, or, but uh, it could be made um, off a pinch of tobacco. It could be uh, wheeling crafts, uh, stone, crystal, feather. Uh, you make a little altar, a little stone circle. Uh, you can even offer a pinch of, of dirt if she put your intention in it, or uh, some hair, put a piece of hair on a branch. Uh, and they know, they know, uh, they, they know, and they've shown me that they know, because uh, not only me, but I can't speak for myself. Um, they often, they will bring, but they will give back something. It doesn't mean that they have to, or they, that necessarily they will, but when you least expect it. And the gift can be, you know, uh, print, or you hear a hoot, you know, friendly hoot. In the mountain would not go that can be a gift if you think it that absolutely I had once uh, just to conclude this I had once I was uh, alone in a the uh, mountain in uh, and where uh, there was a lot of activity around the house on a daily basis and they were showing up and making themselves heard and one time I came and back to my work table there was a Nice big red gem. Uh, no, it was a ruby or something. I have no idea where it came from. And I uh, asked around, everybody had uh, seen it. Um, and uh, so I finally gave it to the boy. And the next day, I read the book from a collaborator who was uh, a question maker or two. Yeah, he was uh, given five red gems by the Sasquatch. 
So these things happen out of the blue, yeah. you know. Wow. That's incredible. And I have one experience several years ago of finding a beautiful crystal in a riverbed, but it wasn't in the water. It was placed on top of a mossy, a very large mossy stone that was in the center of this river. And I always wondered about that because we were in a place where not many people hiked. I always liked going off trail especially back then. And uh, yeah, I, I just always wondered. It seemed like a special little crystal put there. And yeah, maybe someone else like me put it there. But yeah, I wonder about that. Now, on on that note, does Sasquatch have vices? Like, could you leave them like a little spot of, of uh, alcohol or obviously tobacco? I don't know that they're smoking it, but because people do around the world leave alcohol and cigarettes and other things like that to spirits. They don't necessarily say they're leaving it for Sasquatch. But yeah, do, do Sasquatch uh, have any vices? Are they interested in that kind of thing or are they all together enlightened you know, above that kind of thing? From well, uh, well, uh, I don't think they smoke the tobacco, uh, and they probably, uh, you know, like native tradition, the uh, spirits enjoy the uh, From what I've heard, I didn't verify it firsthand, but apparently they like what some call chokeweed, uh, which is uh, cannabis. You know? Oh, wow. Apparently, some people have had this message that they appreciate that herb. I'm sure they appreciate a lot of herbs and a lot of good things too, you know. Uh, it's mostly the intention that we put in it that makes um, yeah makes it special. That's beautiful. Yeah, and I, I enjoyed cannabis, so maybe one day I'll find myself getting a tap on the shoulder to pass it to the left. <laughs> Who knows? But wow, this is really incredible, Sunbo. I know we're coming up upon the second top of the second hour here, so I don't want to keep you too much longer, but you have so many books available all through scenicsasquatch.com. That's the best place people can go to, to find all the information and the, the different books you have here and I really love the message to humanity series it connects a lot of dots for me personally and as you put in the book a lot of this has been discussed in a, some of our most ancient texts and in the oral traditions of many cultures carry these stories and I, I think it's amazing that these Sasquatch beings play this role it makes a lot of sense as to why people have the experiences that they do with this being. And I think it's better that maybe for the most part, people are at least unaware that this being exists, at least for now. I think humanity, maybe little by little, we're slowly waking up to the fact that we need to be in a brotherly relationship with this creature and not an antagonistic or an ignorant relationship with them and i think that for the most part most people are ignorant to these creatures unfortunately but hey maybe this podcast with its small but uh, humble audience can help spread the message further and i will share the links in the description for people so that they can uh, easily find your work is there anything you want to leave us with anything you'd like to promote or, or tell the the audience about before we we wrap up here uh, well uh, i thank the audience for the listening and uh for the if you have uh interest in looking deeper like you say in my books or our articles online 
especially in the books where we can go very deep into. Wonderful. Yeah. Wow. Sunbow. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And I'd love to have you back on the show after I read a couple more of your books and we can continue this discussion. I'm sure the audience has many questions that they'll send me and I can pose them to you when that happens. But until next time, I hope you have a great, great day. And to the listeners, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to this awesome episode with Sunbow True Brother. And if you want to hear me read more from his interesting book, uh, Message to Humanity, uh, sign up for the Patreon or the Substack. We've gotten a couple new people that have signed up, and we've got a couple people who are going to get some shout-outs for their one-time donations that they've kindly sent in. Let's start with that today. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode, even though it might have gotten into some fantastic realms. I assure you, his book does exactly that. So, uh, yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, please do go and check out uh, Sunbow's book series. He's got a trilogy that we talked about today, mostly the first book, because that's all I've read. And he's got a, a couple other books about shamanism that are very interesting, and uh, his Encyclopedia of Hairy Hominids, which he did mention a couple times today. But I want to give a shout-out to Ben from End of the World News. Shout-out to you, brother. Thank you for sending in $20. And also Mark G., who's sent money in the past. So very kind of you, brother. <clears throat> I appreciate it. Uh, Francis, I'm sorry, not Francis, David, David R., shout out to you, brother. He's also sent uh, money a couple times and sent some money again. So thank you for sending some money on Venmo. Uh, we also got, I think, one one-time donation on PayPal since the last time I did these shout outs. So let me check there real quick. And uh, yeah, a bunch of people signing up on patreon i'm gonna do the shout outs for the patreon next week um but yeah c wilson jeff finn up who's been a guest on this show they support monthly their donations came in recently shout out to them they support the show through ko-fi uh, i believe it's ko-fi and then also you can support the show on Rockfin, where i just uploaded the video version of this episode which has been out for over three days now for our supporters so if you want to get every episode early do sign up now on the patreon or the Substack. i have another interview with paul stobbs where we go deeper into the terrifying reality of clowns and their connections to the nephilim how they've been used as a symbol by various secret societies and we even talk about the royal order of the jesters which is some really really disgusting dark um, men who parade around in clown costumes and do some really awful things it's not something that I enjoy talking about but it's definitely something that people uh, need to know about so go and sign up on the Patreon to hear that episode first I'm probably not going to re release it until around Halloween because it is such a spooky episode so if you want to hear that now if you're getting into Halloween season, 
you want to get some a little taste of it early uh yeah go and sign up on substack or patreon and i've got a bunch of interviews lined up this week so all of those are going to be available on patreon and substack this week and i'm only putting out this episode this week so there's only one episode of the my family thinks some crazy podcast coming out this week and that's because i don't want to rush things and i want to start to build up a backlog on the patreon and on the substack to encourage all of you wonderful listeners to support this podcast we want to reach our goal of 250 supporters uh, so that we can commit to doing in-person interviews and uh i don't know maybe we'll have to change the format of the show up where i give out half the episode for free and the other half for supporters only if that's the only thing that's going to change then i might have to do that if you don't want to see that happen sign up on the patreon sign up on the Substack for just five dollars you get every episode early you also get bonus episodes me and juan are doing a weekly podcast i'm going to start doing Uh, something for esoteric america again and i'll probably put it on the patreon first if i don't just put it out on youtube sam tripoli's been encouraging me to uh, do live streams he says oh you should use your knowledge to do live streams and break things down and whatnot so he says that that's going to be a productive way to grow the audience youtube seems to be the mainstay yeah we talked a lot of shit about youtube so who knows maybe we'll get another strike maybe not please do go and support us there i'm going to be putting more content on youtube but uh yeah that's about it and also if you do sign up for the patreon and the Substack, the cool thing about these episodes coming out early is you get to comment and then i'm going to read those comments in the outros for future episodes because now i have a new way where I record the Patreon outro separately. So in the Patreon outro, we get into some deeper content, maybe take some things out of the you know guest's book or talk about the guest's, you know, whatever they have going on a little bit further in depth. Like, for example, with the JFK episode for the supporters only, we did basically just spoil the film, uh, which... I don't know, some people seem to love it, some people do not like it at all, but that's alright, that's fine. I personally thought it was interesting, I'm not completely swayed, but I'm also not completely dismissive of it, right? So, I think that's how we should be about more theories. So, if you want to get longer outros, extended outros, where we go further in depth, do sign up on the Patreon and the Substack today. Uh, For everybody else, you'll get this outro where i promote stuff and thank the supporters because that's how i should be uh spending my time thanking the people who help this podcast continue help me so that i don't have to go out and get a regular job it's looking like i'm gonna have to do that with the rising price of living and all this stuff i mean we did find a pretty cheap apartment that we're hoping to move into soon but i might need to at least get a part-time job to keep things going so if you want to help out please do send us a one-time donation or support the show get the most for your dollar sign up on substack patreon or rockfin and that's about it folks we also have a youtube membership area which is cool 
There's some the video version of the show there. So if you don't like Rockfin or you've never been on Rockfin and you want to just support my podcast and get the video versions of the show, uh, the ones that are not available to everyone on YouTube, go and sign up for the YouTube membership. And we also got a $10 donation on YouTube from a really cool dude down in Australia. So shout out to you, although I only... I think you only listen to the show on YouTube. That's the weird thing about YouTube audience members is some a lot of them seem to only use YouTube, which not all of my episodes are there. I can't put them all there because then we'll get censored and taken off of YouTube. So if you want all the shows, you do have to go to Patreon or Substack. That's where everything goes. Even the controversial episodes that do not make it to the free feed. There's even some of those. So anyways... That's all for me, folks. Thanks for tuning in and immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Shout out to the Hit Kit. Although they are not currently in operation, uh, the Hit Kit still supports the show and we do appreciate them for that. That is a really cool thing that Garrett is doing. And uh, yeah, best best of luck. I hope you get back in business soon, brother. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks, folks. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.